backroom politics. Justin, if you can hear anything, I just got dead air. Oh, I can hear you. Oh, there we go. Hey, let's try this again. Technical difficulties. It is time for the best talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live uh, from Capitol Hill today, a remote version of, of Backroom Politics. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the former. Uh, he is the former Biden uh, political operative and bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and District of Columbia. He is Dan Littner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. And I hope more FBI agents are listening to us than we're listening to Trump Tower. That that too is true. That is very true. He also joining us. He is the former, or actually, he's the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is Ken Carradine. Hello, Admiral Ken. Hello, Justin. How are you? Doing fantastic, and he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who last served under last count four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, and a very distinguished and handsome fellow for the Stimson Center. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Admiral. Uh, hello, Alan. I appreciate the flattery. <laughs> and joining us today. We got a special guest calling in from the Garden State of New Jersey. Uh, she is the former legal counsel for the Hillary Clinton campaign in Ohio. She is also now. I gotta get this straight, Sharmila Arkari. Sharmila, tell me what is your organization that you just founded? Sure. Thanks for having me, Justin. I'm really excited to be on the show. So I co-founded an organization called Empire State Progressives with two classmates of mine from business school. And it's a grassroots action network that's aiming to engage our network of, you know, I guess, plus older millennials to get more engaged in politics, to push back on the more absurd parts of the Trump agenda, and to help, you know, rebuild the progressive and democratic uh, bench in this country by, you know, getting Democrats elected uh, to state and nationwide offices across the country. Cool. So, Dan Lipner, you're welcome. I got you some more liberal coverage. <laughs> Nothing from Dan Lipner. Dan? He's silent. He's, we he's all appre- This is Alan, but we all, we, all, we all appreciate it. <laughs> okay, let's move forward. Hey, for those of you who don't know, there is so much we've got to cover. We, we, we've got the skinny budget. We've got uh, Judge Neil Gorsuch right now, who is still currently being questioned in his confirmation hearing, currently by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Uh, we got that to go over. And we've got so much to go over from yesterday's drama on the Capitol steps. And that we have to talk about first. So in case you didn't know, uh, at the request of the president, President Trump, Uh, had requested that the House Intelligence Committee begin a series of hearings to investigate the uh, president's allegation. Uh, I I, I guess the only way to put it is miscue of the fact that, A, President Obama had his phones tapped at Trump Tower, and 
it was also taken on, or it, the committee has also taken on, his, the question of the interaction and the influence of the Russian government with our election in 2016. So much came out of that. Number one, and I'm going to start with you, Admiral Ken, uh, the, it was, was it surprising to you as blunt as both the Admiral in charge of the uh, National Security Agency and the FBI director, was it surprising to you how blunt they were when posed the question, did or are you aware of any wiretapping at Trump Tower? They just basically came out and said, no. I mean, read between the lines. It's garbage. Were you shocked? Um, so the, 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 the immediate answer is, uh, in the case of Admiral Mike Rogers, uh, no. Um, background. So during my time in command down in Norfolk, um, uh, Admiral Rogers uh, had the, uh, the, the Cybercom uh, organization down there as well, the Fleet Cybercom organization. And so I had occasion to attend a weekly meeting with him with the, uh, the fleet commander. Um, Mike Rogers is a consummate professional. Uh, I've never met anyone who's had anything negative to say uh, about his leadership and I got to experience his forthright and matter-of-fact style up close and personal for almost a full two years. Um, I think that and the fact that uh, uh, he and Comey enjoy uh, unique status and that their, their appointments um, are supposed to be apolitical, um, they can afford to tell the truth. They can afford to be professional. They can afford to leave politics at the, uh, at the doorstep uh, when addressing uh, matters that fall within their purview. So was I surprised at their, bluntness, at their bluntness? No, I was not. And, and quite frankly, I was counting on it, and I was not, I was not left wanting uh, yesterday. I watched the entire thing, and uh, I was not left wanting by the performance of these two gentlemen. Uh, everybody, the rest, the rest of the, the cabinet should, 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 should take a lesson on how to perform in such a manner. Dan Lipner, let me go to you. You at the fact that the bluntness – and the forthrightness that came out of uh, both Admiral, both the Admiral and the Director? Well, I've said it in the past, and I still stand by it. Uh, Director Comey is, when he, at least on these presentations before Congress, has been bulletproof. Um, he's handled himself well, including when asked a question in response to a, the President's live tweet during the hearings. And Comey's continued to be impressive. I wish he were a little less politically tone deaf uh, during the election. And I suspect Sharmila is going to have uh, a, a point on that one. Um, but other than that, yeah, Comey continues to impress me. Alan Moore, did, did the FBI director and the director of NSA do anything to shut down the question? Can we answer the question of President Obama did not wiretap Trump Tower? Well, they did all they were able to do, which was to say, uh, in, in Comey's case, the FBI didn't do it, the Justice Department didn't do it, and we don't know of anybody else who did it. And Mike Rogers, speaking for the NSA, said, we didn't do it, and we don't know about anybody who did it. That pretty much takes care of it. I mean, one could argue, I suppose, that... 
you know, so it's it, there aren't a lot of entities, other entities that could legally um, uh, operate there, and then it wouldn't be known. So it, it was just interesting. You know, I don't have any quarrel with the way they answered it. I think the answer is clear. It's I think the answer was pretty well known before they even got up there. They said what they could say. We didn't, and we don't know of any, and we we and we would know. So no, um, I, I think that that they did it the right way, and I think it was clear. Now whether, who knows where the White House goes from here? Because we we have always done a very bad job of predicting um, what what Donald Trump will do, and now it's his whole White House that we don't predict very well. <laughs> Charlotte, let me, let me go to you on on this. It, it seemed yesterday that the Democrats were truly honing in and putting the crosshairs on the Trump campaign and the, and the individuals that may or may not have had interaction with the ambassador of Russia and other key figures in Russian government. Did, did Director Comey and the Admiral answer those questions to the satisfaction of Democrats on the Intelligence Committee, you think? You know, Who's your question I to? So I think. Oh, sorry. That was to Sharmila. To Sharmila. Sorry. Sorry. Yep. Um, to be honest, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, they kept bringing names up, such as Roger Stone or Paul Manafort, and saying, you know, can you comment on this individual's, you know, any investigation you have into this particular individual or any information that you think this individual might have known? And Comey, I think, basically deflected all these questions, saying, you know, I can't really comment on on the more specific aspects, and if any of these individuals have you know had contacts or have pertinent information, we want to hear from them. You know, Roger Stone is kind of the gift that keeps on giving to Democrats, and you know he's out there saying, "I want to clear my name. I want to testify. I want to you know bring forth this information." So I think that only when that information is made public will Democrats potentially be satisfied that there was no intentional you know, collusion with the Russians or cooperation. Let me, let me go back to Alan Moore real quickly, because Alan Moore, you know, when we talk about Roger Stone and we talk about some of the other players in this, it recently, it recently has been uh, disclosed by several in government that uh, Mike Flynn retroactively filed under FARA, which is the Foreign Agent Registry Act, uh, which basically says if you represent a foreign entity or a foreign government that you have to register with the U.S. government on their behalf. Is, is there more smoke than we're seeing in this whole question of Russian interactions? And has Mike Flynn pulled the pin on something that could be much larger? Well, he could. Uh, he, he He's thoroughly been discredited in this entire episode, both for uh, lying to the vice president and not not getting that lie cleared up once it became public and it was associated with, uh, uh, with the vice president. Uh, and, and, uh, and then we learned that he, he uh, also uh, remember the, the money he made and the foreign agent registration had to do with Turkey, not Russia. Right. He was right. just a guy, a guy, you know, who, <laughs> who came from the highest levels of the intelligence world. He was director 
of def- the Defense Intelligence Agency, one of those uh, all-powerful, very large organizations. He kind of got run out of there, more for the way he managed it um, uh, and, 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 and behaved personally, not for, for trying to get rich or, or anything like that. He was just the wrong guy. Now he's advising uh, uh, President Trump, traveling with him, uh, has his ear, uh, clearly has uh, significant trust uh, and, and influence on him, and and he he is not apparently disclosing uh, some potential conflicts of interest that he had uh, during the campaign. Then he lied to uh, to Pence, didn't correct the lie, maybe because he maybe because he forgot, but more likely because he didn't think anybody would ever know. Uh, but of course, we did know because intelligence had picked it up and that became public. Um, at some point we should, dis- we should speculate on who we think leaked it. Um, Trump likes to blame the intelligence service. I might myself think it was more likely somebody in the white house itself who wanted to get rid of Flynn, but different, different question. Um, uh, anyway, I've, I've, <laughs> I've lost track of, of, of where I, where, where <laughs> I was headed here. Um, but, but, uh, uh, Flynn uh, has acted disreputably. He has paid a huge price for that. Was he in cahoots with the Russians trying to influence the outcome of the election? That's a bigger stretch. Uh, I, I'm not at all convinced that this investigation is going to find that kind of collusion. I think this w- was more likely personal uh, ex- uh, uh, advancement it, or Alan, aggrandizement, Alan, let, accumulation of wealth. Alan, let me jump in real quick because I, I want to ask you the question just to follow up on this is it seems to me that understanding that Mike Flynn's bearer registration was for uh, representation on behalf of the Turkish government out of Ankara, but it, it, it seems to show a really bad lack of judgment or a naivete about, you know, interaction with foreign entities at that level. Uh, is this going to be, is, is this just going to be a string that's just going to unravel a whole sweater when it comes to bad judgment dealing with, whether it's the Turkish government or the or the Russian government out of Moscow. Well, again, it, it, you know, I don't know how what I don't know what the sweater is you're describing. His own personal sweater, Michael Flynn's sweater, is 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 a mess of yarn all over the floor, and and maybe there's a second sweater also. My hunch is we've you know that 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 we. <laughs> that we know about as much as we need to know about him, which doesn't to say we won't learn more things. I'm just, you know, it, it, he, he, he's a guy who spent his life in the military and then in, in, uh, in this intelligence agency. And he never really understood what, when he had a chance to make some dough or have some influence with a high level politician, he, he didn't have the, the, this is the kindest uh, interpretation by the way on this, that he, he really didn't have the background and experience to know how to behave when Alan, when when you do that, Alan, I must I have to disagree. So from the minute from the minute you become a general flag officer, the one message that comes across uh, loudly and repeatedly is the 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 lessons in ethics. 
And so, um, and the other, the other part of that, part two of that is, you know, when you retire, you're not done. You're, you're on a list. And because you're on a list and not really completely out, there are standards of behavior that are expected. And you can be prosecuted for those, namely taking money from a foreign government as a, general, as a retired general flag officer. You know this. You know it. And, and, yeah, and, Ken, can you expand on that? What's the legislation that, that binds I, I, the law I, that binds you? Know Dan, Dan I, I, you know, not, not being of, of, of the loyally ilk like yourself, I can't tell you what the legislation is. All I can tell you is what the rules were as they were explained to me time and time and time again. Well, I mean, I mean, going back to this, though. Uh, yeah, actually, well, well th- 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 this is an important question, though. I, from what I have, what I have read, so just just what I know about the Turkish thing, uh, the Turkish government <laughs> gives money to, I think it's a, a Dutch entity, uh, which does a lot of its bidding, and it was the Dutch entity that that um, uh, that actually hired uh, the Flynn firm, but he registered as a foreign agent on behalf of the Turkish government because they were original source. I had not read that there was, I had, I had not read that there was anything illegal After about fact, him doing that. He just was required to be transparent about it. And, well, and again, I mean, the, 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 the question comes back, Alan, to, I, I think it was a lack of judgment when he retroactively went back and said, Oh, you know what? I kind of forgot about registering under Farah. Here's my FARA registration. Uh, when you do it six months retroactively, it's an issue. But I want to I stick to the hearing yesterday. Dan Lipner, let me go back to you. It seemed to me that in the hearing, the Democrats were very much focused on the players and their interaction with the uh, Russian government and the Russian government's influence whereas the Republicans were very hyper-focused on the leaks and finding the leaks. Are, are both of those good ploys for both sides? Well, on the Republican side, it's as though, I mean, just to put the analogy to Watergate, focusing entirely on deep throat versus what the president and the president's henchmen did. Um, I don't quite know what other choice Republicans have other than approach the hearings with integrity, um, other than point the finger at the leaks, and not to say the leaks are are a good thing, but they are an uncomfortable thing that democracy has to deal with, especially when there's possibilities of things being being hidden in the executive. Um, as far as the Democrats, yeah, it's a perfect uh, line of questioning. Keep going. Uh, making sure, uh, it's a perfect line of questioning, uh, trying to get on the record as much information about those surrounding the president to inevitably lead to the question, what did the president know and when did he know it? So, Ellen yeah, Moore, Justin, just to, Oh, go ahead, Sharmila. I was just going to say, just to add to that, uh, what, to what Dan just said, I think it is disappointing that the Republicans pursued a line of questioning that's really solely about the, advancing their political narrative and you know, the president's sort of political narrative about the problem is the leaks and the leakers, and they're the ones we need to prosecute, and they're the ones that need to go to jail, versus the actual question of, has our, U- has our democratic process been compromised? And I, Alan, I, Alan, Alan I, Moore? Yeah, I have to say, I have to say, I, I, I thought, I, I'm amused by this. First of all, I agree 
that the Republicans overplayed their hand in, in, in having so many different people put emphasis on the leak, the leak, the leak, the leak, stop the leak, which, as I said earlier, very well might have come out of the White House itself. And, and if it did, I sure hope we find out. Um, that would be a poetic justice of a different sort. And I thought they overplayed their hand. They didn't exclusively play that hand. Even Trey Gowdy, who went for, for a, a good while on the, uh, on the leak stuff, did come back around and, and make a, some comments about how important the, this, this possible Russia connection is. The, the, the Democrats found it in their interest to not even think about the leaks. But what, I, what amuses me is I'm reminded of not that many months ago when the Podest emails were leaked, there was all of this outrage on the part, on the part of Democrats about this leak and this horrible thing that happened because, of course, they didn't want to deal with the content of the highly embarrassing and damaging uh, Podesta emails. So, you know, what goes around comes around in this town. Uh, I'm not saying the stakes were the same, but it, 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 it does remind me of not very long ago where the shoe was on a different foot and people were talking about the source of information rather than the content. The Republicans make a huge mistake. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, guys, everybody. I didn't say it was a, I didn't say it was equivalent, but it says shoes on another foot. And in this case, the the Republicans have got to make sure, and the president needs to join the chorus and say we need to find out if there was any connection here at all. Um, be, and and we need to find out what the Russians were up to, whether or not there was a connection. Because we cannot afford to have them engaged in this kind of behavior. In the Sharmila, hold on, hold on, Dan. Let me let Sharmila address this as somebody who was actually on the Clinton campaign. Sharmila, sorry, what, what is this we're addressing? The Allen statement, or yeah, go ahead, take this. off on Allen's statement. Oh, I was going to say, you know, there's a considerable difference between a leak and a hack, and the, you know. The issue with the Podesta emails wasn't that someone inside the campaign or someone at the DNC came to the news and said, oh, by the way, there are these emails that say this, that, and the other. It was, or there have been communications between John Podesta and these various sources. That was a third-party entity, you know, specifically breaking down firewalls and hacking this information in order to get damaging information about the campaign that was very much intended to remain confidential. Let me ask you this question. You know, the question of... Sharma, let me ask you this question. The question is, is the leak sure, is definitely. the leak question as important as the is the leak question as important to Democrats as it is the question of the Russian interaction? No, absolutely not. Why not? Right, I think the the overarching importance of the question being addressed currently, whether or not Russians or any other foreign government or any other third party, um, third party entity, right? I think if the question was, if this is a foreign government, if this is a Russian government versus, you know, some sort of anonymous hacking group that actually was able to access election information and compromise the sanctity of our elections, I think that question far supersedes the question of where did the information come from and who was leaking it and were these leaks you know, legal versus Dan Lipner, Dan Lipner, you agree? 
No, I absolutely agree. And continuing, a foreign a foreign state actor influencing American elections is nothing to, t- to take lightly. I mean, of many reasons, the founders, and I like to remind uh, you know my, my ultra conservative friends, not that any of you are on on the show at the moment, um, that the founding fathers don't just belong to them. I mean, foreign entanglements and foreign manipulation has been something at the core of this country's beliefs and worries for a very long time. I mean, even going back a few elections, back to Al Gore and his fundraising, there was there were serious concerns about Asian influence and illegal uh, Asian money coming in from Asia to influence the uh, the Gore campaign, and to now suddenly be worried about well. We really are more concerned about the leaker, not whether or not the Russians who have their own interests uh, globally that might be different from uh, at least the majority of American interests um, is not something to take lightly. And it, it, it's troubling that, um, at least in the House side, and, uh, and to Alan's point, yes, Trey Gowdy did at least flirt with uh, the substance. Um, the, the, the Senate Republicans are going to be apparently going to be the real test to see whether or not they, they are going to run this to ground, at least for their in their own party. In 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 defense of um, in defense of um, Cong- in defense of Congressman Gowdy, um, uh, you're right. In, in the, uh, the the first two uh, I guess iterations of his questioning, he was you know, beating the uh, the leaker drum to death. But I think as the day went by. And um, as the testimony um, was, was, was delivered by um, by the two directors um, with regard to the, the Russians and, and, and all their their, their, uh, their trade craft uh, to influence uh, the election, I think toward the end, Gowdy kind of got it that this is bigger than than the leak. That this was this was. This was big because not only did the Russians do this, more importantly, the Republican Party, you know, the party that arguably won the Cold War, is now trying to turn around and buddy up with the Russians. I mean, um, the former chair of the, uh, of the Republican Party, um, um, the former governor from Maryland, whose name is, is escaping me right now. Um, you know, Michael Steele. Michael Steele call it a WTF moment, and that's exactly what this is. Really, Alan Moore. Yeah. Alan Moore, let me explain, bring this up. Well, let me let me just make a comment of sort of how I saw the day yesterday, and put it in the context of uh, of the NCAA uh, basketball tournaments, men and women, this so-called March Madness. So, you know, we we're, we're, we now have a Sweet Sixteen, but in, in my way of thinking about yesterday and where this all is in geopolitics we're we're if we're already at the final four we got the u.s we got russia we got china and we got everybody else and the everybody else is you know the irans the north koreas the iraqs the germany's the uk and so on the the russians have won the russians had the best day ever yesterday the day before today there is chaos in America, and I'm not saying they influenced the outcome of the election. What they are getting is everything they were hoping for. Distrust, chaos, questions. It was a true, 
it, it as 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 Michael says, as Ken said, Michael Steele used that phrase. Um, you know, it was a WTF kind of a, a, a of a day, and the Russians won. Now, this isn't you know the, this isn't the last battle ever, but this round they had a huge day, and unless we start focusing on them, what they were trying to do, what they will try to do in European elections and get our stuff together. And from the president to both parties, um, we are going to continue to be vulnerable and continue to look foolish around the world. Is that, yeah, please, I'd like please. to follow up on Alan's point. Oh, Go ahead, Charmel. Go ahead. Oh, just to take off just to take off my partisan hat for a minute. I think there is value in sort of philosophically examining the question of, you know, does it serve our general American interests to be perpetuating the idea that our democracy is fallible and that our democracy is this fragile, right? I think, as as Alan said, that plays very much into Vladimir Putin's hands, you know by showing that, you know, democracy and, you know, to somewhat extent, I think the Chinese government's hands, showing that democracy is not this amazing, you know, ideal that everyone, that we Americans claim it is. It's, in fact, very messy and can be full of sort of questionable outcomes and, um, you know, on, you know, can, can lead to these very, you know, messy situations where you have, you know, people on all sides fomenting distrust and disinformation. All right, but let me ask you, Charmela. Hold on, everybody, hold on, hold on, Charmela. Let me go back. I want to just follow up on something that you had said. The vulnerability isn't the vulnerability that we're experiencing now just perpetuated by a president that insists on tweeting, but not only tweeting, but tweeting out what we've now come to find out are lies and falsehoods. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. Yes, you've got to look at the top for this. But this is, but again, I think this goes back to my further point, right? Democracy results in sometimes like bad outcomes, right? Because of democracy, we elected, you know, quote unquote, freely and fairly, the least qualified person to ever serve in this office in the history of our country. (laughs) And that was the democratic outcome. Ken Carradine, I heard that giggle. Go ahead and take it. <laughs> I've not heard that's disagreement from Ken. No, I don't, no, I, I got nothing. <laughs> but but the, the, the philosophical point does matter. In order for democracy to function, it functions in part on faith, a faith in the fairness of the process, uh, both in not only the election, but the exchange of ideas, and those ideas can be run the ground to wherever there are, where there's a difference between fact and opinion, but knowing what the two are and still being able to decide upon a course of action. I mean, Winston Churchill once said that, you know, the United States will always do the right thing after it's exhausted every other option. <laughs> that said, there's still a need to see those other options and the, and the playing field to be fair. At the moment, we have an occupant of the White House that alt facts are now a, legi- a statement that is in the common parlance. It was kind of comical when Stephen Colbert uh, created the word truthiness and it actually found its way into like word of the year or something. That was kind of cute and funny because he's a comedian. This is now the president of the United States in the White House. And we're looking at these things and are never quite. 
certain what's real and what's fake. And when air quotes can be used to, well, he didn't really mean that, that's how we're supposed to make interpretations. And for people who aren't political professionals who pay attention to this stuff all the time, normal people would find this taxing to say the least. Admiral Ken, did the testimony from yesterday disrupt the credibility of the Oval Office and President Trump himself? Uh, yeah, I think it did. I think when the director of the FBI um, has an image on the front page of a major U.S. newspaper and uh, saying, you know, no, Obama did not bug the White House, um, you know, there are people who will try, like like Sean Spicer, uh, to try and you know take a more sophisticated or gin gin up some sort of um, way of saying that. No, that's not what he meant. But you know, your average ordinary person, hopefully with a with a, with a, with the brain attached to their ears, will walk away from that saying, "Yeah, the guy lied." And you know what? And he got his hand caught in the cookie jar lying by the best law enforcement agency in the world and holy cow but you know i think the bigger takeaway from that if you're if you're really paying attention is the fact that it shows on the part of the white house and i won't get to i won't i won't point at president trump specifically but definitely on the part of his advisors a real lack of understanding of how the judicial process works you had to get a warrant you have to get a warrant the president would have to get a warrant to be able president obama would have to get a warrant to be able to, to do that. And he, he sure as heck wouldn't be able to get one based on political uh, political reasons. And it showed a real lack of understanding that, you know, even a common guy like I have of how the process works. And that's, that's, that erodes confidence in the, uh, in, in, in the White House, I think. Alan Moore, let me ask you, just, with the, with the oh, yeah, go ahead, Charmela. Oh, just again, to follow up on Ken's point, I think that his credibility President Trump's credibility will be undermined for maybe the next 24 hours. You know, having worked on the campaign, and I'm sure as all of you as observers of the campaign knew, I watched with incredulity at how many just lies the man could tell and, you know, easily discreditable lies and have them not affect his credibility after maybe 24 to 48 hours. You know, I saw him, we all saw him flatly deny things that he had said in print you know, maybe one or two years earlier and suffer no consequences from it. So while I agree with Admiral Ken that hopefully this will diminish his credibility and the credibility of this administration, I don't know that it will last very long. Well, Alan Moore, let me go to you. Following up on, on Sharmla's point, uh, we, this is, these are actions and, and these are methods that the Trump campaign used effectively, ineffectively, during the campaign, uh, but we're now seeing it in a different realm with him using the same tactics of putting out there what he believes, what he wants to believe out there into the media. Are we seeing a hemorrhaging of the credibility of the United States with our global partners right now, and how dangerous and bad is it? Well, that's really an important question. Um, as, as Sharmila described from personal experience, there was this this horror and disbelief um, by by those uh, supporting Hillary Clinton that Trump could say stuff 
we don't need to debate whether whether it was a true lie or just something that happened to be wrong, demonstrably wrong, and then repeated, and how little damage there was. And America kind of adjusts. We've dealt with people of bluster, of exaggeration. Um, we kind of, in our odd history and culture, come to discount what some of what people say. There's trash talk in sports. There's all this sort of stuff that we Americans kind of, kind of get. Some of us horrified more so than others. Some are just dismissive. It was like the way some women handled uh, his grotesque remarks on the bus with, with Billy Bush. Oh, yeah, that's guy talk. And so maybe America, not all of America, certainly, but, but people in America kind of do this mental discount. Around the world, they don't get it. They don't think like that. So there was a poll that got my attention uh, that was reported on in recent days in Germany. In November, do you tr- after the election, do you trust America as a good partner for Germany? 55% of the people said, yeah, yeah, we do. You know, long history, um, they, you know, they change every four or eight years, and we kind of get that. Recently, same poll, same question. 22% of Germans now believe that the U.S. is a reliable partner. That stuff doesn't turn and spin and come back around um, nearly as quickly. They won't be getting it sort of the way America does. As I say, I'm not discounting how Americans feel and the distress and pain that, that, that many Americans felt after the election. Um, and, and, and so there is a difference. And, and how the world feels about America matters. It matters in everything we try to do and try to achieve. So there is a cost to this. You know, we, we can debate. Uh, it, we could, well, we could probably come to a lot of agreement about, about President Trump's background, experience, readiness, et cetera. What we can't agree on, what we won't be able to agree on until it's all over and done with, is what kind of a president he will, in the end, be. We're we're afraid, but we but, but we but, but, for, already but, but we also yeah we're only two two months in and 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 he has shown like throughout the ago. campaign and and even even recently at least some ability to rein it in a little bit here, use the teleprompter there, not always tweet even though it doesn't seem like that so. You get burned a few times. You have some of your allies shoot you down. He, he, he is a person who cares a lot about how folks feel about him. And that's something else we, we know about him. So I don't know in the end what kind of president he will be. Um, but, but he is certainly digging holes for himself that he's going to have to fill in before he can start to rise. Hey, Dan Lipner, you had a comment? Well, yeah, no, I, I started with a snarky comment about hopefully we're in the last year of the Trump presidency. Um, but the, I think it's a bit of a cop-out. Oh, are you, Demo- are you Democrat, Democrat optimists? 
since, since <laughs> we, we are we, we are only, uh, I believe, 60 days into this presidency, and we can speak a little to what kind of president he's been. And there's Absolutely. been a lot of news that he's created of his completely of his own volition. He has not even entered the presidency that has to deal with 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 facts on the ground, whether or not it's warfare or natural disaster. We haven't seen that at all. Everything that's occurring right now is pretty much of his own creation. So I'm hard pressed to say he's doing this terribly well. Um, even even for his 15 minutes when he gave his joint address to Congress, yeah, he read off the teleprompter and managed to get from the beginning to the end without looking completely foolish, but he did not make it to the end of the week before make, looking completely foolish. So, yeah, there's some judgments we can make pretty fairly at this point. Well, let's, we're going to take a break. I'm talking about the judgments you can only make four years from now, that's all, or whenever he's done. I'm going to let that be the last word because we are way behind in the break. We're going to take a quick break. We will continue this discussion because it ties into everything else going on today, uh, including uh, Neil, uh, Judge Neil Gorsuch is still in front of the Judiciary Committee. It is now going on almost five and a half hours. or I'm sorry, six and a half hours he's been on. Uh, now being questioned by Senator Ben Sass, a Republican from Nebraska. But when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. This is Backroom Politics, live from Washington, D.C., and live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. 
romance for me It's foolish to start For that old feeling Is still in my And we are back here live in Washington, D.C. from Capitol Hill. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, on the line, as always, we have Dan Lipner, Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore, and our special guest today, Sh- Sharmila Achari. Hey, uh, I want to start off real quick because, you know, when we talk about the wiretaps and, and such – it, 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 and the credibility that we have with our partners. Let me go with you, Dan Lipner. It amazes me that, number one, just days before the, the Intelligence Committee is supposed to investigate and everybody's expecting Comey and Admiral Rogers to come out and say there was no wiretapping by Russia, British GCHQ, or anybody – he goes into a joint press conference with Angela Merkel, the chancellor of the German government, and basically makes a joke about it, basically saying, hey, you and I have something in common. We were both hacked, and we were both tapped by the Obama administration. The look on her face was priceless as far as the look of, are you insane? Dan Lipner, how do, how do we expect to get any credibility with our foreign partners when our president does something like that. Well, it's kind of worth noting that I believe this is the third foreign dignitary joint press conference since he's been president. The first two with Theresa May and Bibi Netanyahu, and he sort of had the same approach, the joking around and, and not really making much news, but, but saying something off the cuff that may have been slightly newsworthy. This was the first one where actual diplomacy may have been at play with a less than than a uh, joyous partner on the dais with him, and it, it didn't go well. It was that coupled with the the failure of the handshake in the Oval Office. I know there's been some controversy about this since. Yes, he did shake hands with uh, the Chancellor when she arrived at the north front of the White House, but the the, the lack of the handshake in the Oval Office, which is something that was prompted by the photographers, which is done at literally every photo op, was a little weird, uh, to say the least. And then for that joke to have been made and for nobody to have briefed the president that, that uh, the chancellor was still a bit miffed about that, the uh, spying issue before it Either he didn't hear it or he wasn't told. It, it's hard to see. It's hard to see how that was a good idea, but it's also kind of interesting to see how the president handles these things. And um, and and Admiral, Admiral Ken, go ahead. So I think Dan Dan um, hits on a, a key point. Um, I, I'm for you know, most of those folks uh, in in the, I guess that are serving as advisors to the president don't understand that the Obama's, the Obama administration's, um, I guess, look uh, clandestinely at, uh, at Angela Merkel violated the, the five eyes agreement. 
And since then, you know, um, there's been a renewed uh, respect for that agreement. And um, and I think when when he said that, I don't think he really understood that you're in effect you're pulling the scab off a wound that we're trying to we're trying to heal over right now. And I think that's why you saw Admiral Rogers' um, response um, in such an emphatic uh, manner yesterday when um, when he was asked if he knew if the Brits uh, had. Uh, and, uh, or anyone else, um, one of our allies had, had, uh, had bugged Trump Tower. Dan Lipnard. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Admiral Ken completely. There, the, the president, amongst many jobs he's supposed to have, is also being the face and the chief diplomat of the country. In spite of the Secretary of State, the president of the United States has that job, too. And, uh, again, I'm hard-pressed to see what we're, when we're going to see the best of him, assuming we haven't already, uh, when something serious occurs. I mean, North Korea is lobbing missiles uh, It out there and doing various different tests. The Russians are advancing uh, weapons into, into uh, toward Western Europe and towards our, our NATO allies. And the Iranians are still doing their thing. And let alone, we still have ISIS and other problems boiling over. You know, when we need to look to the president for trust to build a coalition for circumstances that are still yet unforeseen, the Donald is less than confidence in firing. So, but Alan Moore, when we have a president that has had literally two bad outings with key allies this week. I mean, we look at the uh, press conference that, um, or the, the quick presser that uh, Irish prime minister uh, Edna Kenny had with Trump coming out of the, traditional Irish St. Patrick's Day luncheon on the Hill, where he came out and basically just blasted American immigration policy. And then to follow it up the next day with uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, how do we stop the hemorrhaging of credibility, not only with our key allies, but with the world on a global scale itself? Well, (laughs) he... There's no easy answer to any of this. They, everybody brings to the job their life experience. Uh, sometimes it's a better fit with with what seems to work. Uh, just in terms of personality, et cetera, Donald Trump has been a guy who very successful, New York, bluster, challenge, um, uh, take no prisoners, Ask for the moon before you negotiate, and 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 in a world where everybody knows that you're walking in with one position, and, and most things are negotiable, and and into a world where every word matters, every word is watched, um, and even American humor um, uh, is American humor. Uh, not saying everybody agrees with what that means, but it it often doesn't translate at all. Um, when he said what he said to An- uh, Angela Merkel um, about, well, we got one thing in common we were both spied upon. There's a, that's American humor. It's not funny in Germany, and it's particularly not funny when she was 
<laughs> but her cell phone communications were picked up. There's nothing funny about it at all. Um, and and it, when it falls dead flat, it's like a comedian in front of, a, of an audience is like, well, we've got to drop that one. Um, he has got to relearn. And it's not easy when you're 50, much less 70, uh, to kind of relearn what got you here and what, what, what seemed to work. But, but uh, he, at the same time, he listens to, to cable shows and he reads papers. And when people just rip him apart again and again, there's part of him that wants to fire back and part of it that sinks in. And the people around him, you have to assume, are at least of divided minds. You know, there's the enablers who say, yeah, yeah, you tell them, you tell them, Mr. President. There are other people who are saying, eh, not sure that works so well. You might try it this way the next time. You might try it that way. But he's his own guy. He's gonna he's gonna make these calls. But but uh, uh, you know there, there's there's this enormous steep learning curve, and it's not just with foreign leaders. It's with the Congress. It's with the press. And well, uh, let me jump. Let me jump he, in real quick. Let me jump in yeah. real quick, Alan, because I want to go to Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, it's almost like we have a bipolar presidency going on. You know, when we see the gaffes, like the uh, GCHQ uh, is tapping my phones and the Obama administration was tapping my phones at Trump Tower, we see those type of gaffes. And then they, we turn around, and then when we see some really good key decisions, I mean – Everybody in Washington is talking about how brilliant a decision nominating Neil Gorsuch was for the vacant uh, Supreme Court justice seat left by Antonin Scalia. How do we balance this bipolarism? Well, so, one, I've never taken a psychology class, so I'm a little anxious about using the word bipolar. No, I'm not um, talking literally the uh, Admiral Ken. I'm not talking the, the know, president. I know. I know. What, what I what I what I would say is this. Um, you know, Trump Trump has, you know, as long as I've been able to 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 watch what he's done, uh, both on his on, occasionally on his TV show and, and read stories read, read stories and books about him, has always had an eye for talent. Um, He's had an eye, for, an eye for talent. I mean, he, he knows how to find good people, bring them into his organization, let them flourish and do great things. So I'm not so much surprised that he was able to uh, pick um, Judge Gorsuch, as well as some of the, the cabinet choices that, that, that are now in place um, uh, in the administration. Um, the, that said, he's, he's, he's a long way out because I think there's somewhere around, around 2,500 other positions that are yet to be filled. So it's it's not not looking real good in places like the Department of Defense. That being said, um, I think you know one of the one of the, the common refrains that I heard from your most ardent and even you know passing Trump supporters was that once he gets in office, he's he's going to stop this crazy stuff and he's going to surround himself with, with good people and he's going to listen to them. And my response was always, well, he's winning. And he hasn't done it yet, so why should he change? So I, I don't I don't think that we're going to see a, a, a major change in how he does things going forward. I think um, 
to Sharmless Point um, in about a week or two. Um, you know, the, the, the falafel will, 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 will settle down and we won't be talking about this and we'll be on for the next um, interesting tweet. Um, there, you know, he, he truly is, you know, starting to emerge as a Teflon Don when it comes to doing and saying questionable, uh, questionable things. Um, so, well, and just oh. go ahead, go ahead, Charmola. No, no, sorry, please finish your point. I was going to say, Justin, to answer your question, I think the formula you get for, you know, both someone like Neil Gorsuch and the many, many gaffes he's made is that you have a president who has zero intellectual curiosity and no interest in knowing the details of anything and combined with someone who is most influenced by the, the last thing he heard, right? So I think any advisor of Trump can finagle a situation where they have an outcome that they want and they can, you know, place that outcome in such a way that it's the last thing Trump hears. And he says, yeah, that's great. Go with it. Well, I want, you know, I want to pivot sure that. I want, I want to pivot a little bit off of that one, Sharmila, because I do want to, get, I do want to touch on uh, the uh, the confirmation hearings that are going on for Judge Neil Gorsuch. Uh, Judge Neil Gorsuch, who is the, as we said before, the nominee for the Supreme Court vacancy left open by the death of Antonin Scalia, Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, he is now on day two of his confirmation hearings. Currently, again, uh, even a half hour in, still being questioned by Senator Ben Sass, uh, Republican of Nebraska. Um, let's let's focus on on Judge Gorsuch right now because uh, Alan Moore, from a conservative aspect, we're getting kind of conflicting information on he's conservative, he's very conservative, uh, or he's not conservative enough. But it, he really isn't demonstrating the conservative aspect during his hearing. Is that a smart approach? I don't agree with what you said. What do you mean? You just said that he's not demonstrating that conservative approach. I believe he is. So, I, so wait, I, just, you, I disagree with the way you framed the question. So you, you think that he's demonstrating his conservative approach versus his judicial approach, which I think has been in watching well, this all day. I would say that he's been much, much more uh, judicial than conservative. You think those are two different things. His whole judicial philosophy is of, a, is of conservative interpretation uh, of the law, and I don't see any inconsistency there. He is not going to join the, the, any discussion of the merits of any particular case. That that always drives people crazy, but that's the time, the time tested, time proved, um, best way to uh, uh, to get yourself uh, confirmed. Um, and he's got a history of hundreds and hundreds of opinions, all of which are being uh, fly specked and evaluated for uh, for tendencies that other people will will mischaracterize uh, uh, or characterize or mischaracterize to their heart's content. Um, the, the, he's, he's got this lovely temperament of just being a decent person. Um, and he's, he's well-liked and well-qualified and that's driving the Democrats crazy because they want to find some reasons to oppose him on the merits. I mean, you, you realize the weakness of the Democrats argument on the base of two, two things yesterday in all their opening statements, all they wanted to talk about was Merrick Garland, who 
has nothing whatsoever to do with Gorsuch. I mean, I get it, but rather than talk about Gorsuch, it, let's let's go to this other old uh, painful subject, which they which they are going to complain about. And then yesterday, at the end of the day, or maybe this morning, Chuck Schumer said, "Okay, given the fact that this there's this investigation, and here's how we put it, of the Trump administration." going on by the FBI, which is not, in fact, what the investigation is. It's of the, of the connections between the Trump campaign and, uh, and the Russians. So he mischaracterizes that. So how can we uh, go ahead and act on a, on a Supreme Court nominee of a president who's under investigation by the FBI? So that's they don't want to get to the merits of his history of decision-making, his temperament, uh, how people feel about him. Um, so I think he's doing just fine. I think he's doing what he needs to do, and he's got, he's got a temperament that's, uh, that's suited. I'm not hearing any criticism from any conservatives that he's not conservative enough. Um, uh, I just think people are hoping they can suck him into uh, to, to making some kind of a mistake so that they can oppose him uh, if you will, on the merits. Um, and people will simply say, oh, here were 10 decisions I didn't agree with and I couldn't vote for somebody who, with, with, with that view. But, but that, that's kind of what, what the Democrats uh, are reduced to at this point. Okay, there's a couple Dan of Laker, things there. There's, I'd like to agree and disagree with Alan. Well, hold on, so, hold on. Well, Dan, let's, let's start off with not only are conservatives in favor of Merrick Garland, they're spending money, which is something that I don't think I've seen, or at least not in present recent memory uh, the ju- the judicial crisis network is spending millions of dollars in advertising to promote Merrick Garland excuse me to, to Neil to Gorsuch to promote Neil <laughs> Gorsuch um, but to simply dismiss uh, the democratic anger of the fact that we had a Supreme Court not nominee that could not even get a meeting with any of the Republicans on the Hill, let alone have a not true, have, not have true. hearing scheduled. Who did he that meet with? Not true. That, he, he met with several. He met with several Republicans. He met with several. Senators. Absolutely. Anyway, go on. Okay, I, I will stand corrected on that. But he most certainly did not have hearings at, for which the Constitution suggested that he was entitled to since he was named by the president. So of things that the left <laughs> the is Constitution incredibly... suggested. Wow, okay. Are you Dan Lipner? The advice and consent uh, of, the, of the Senate is not is that not in the body? I mean, we are talking about a guy who's a list that was just nominated. So, I missed you know, that, that part kind of, that, that said he's entitled matter. to a hearing. <laughs> I missed the part that said he's entitled to a hearing. I I'd, I'd have to go back to my Constitution and find that. If you could give me the site, I'd appreciate it. I mean, the exact phrase is advice and consent of the Senate. But if you would like to right. infer other meaning from that, I, I, I would be intrigued by what other interpretation. Aside well, no, from you're the, the one who's, you're the one who's interpreting. On you're the one who's interpreting. You're the one who say the Constitution should, should, should require a hearing or guarantee one. That's what I thought you said. I didn't know that that was in there. <laughs> Beyond that. The fact of the matter is that this should this seat should not be open. And of things that the left is palpably and credibly angry about, this one's pretty high on that list. And Dan Lipner, let me just ask you a question. Democrats are in a position because the liberal base 
is pissed off about this one. And to, to my friends in politics and on the Hill that I actually asked about this to see if they had any other insights about their opinion of, about the judge's current nomination, they have all said, yeah, it should be Justice Garland. Yeah, but With no Dan other Lentner, answer beyond that. But Yeah, but Dan Lentner, here's, here's the problem, okay, is, you know, when, when you have a Democratic president and a, and a Republican-majority-controlled Senate, okay, you know you're going to run into that possibility. Even talking to people that I knew in the Obama administration, they knew that it was going to be a tough road to go to get Garland. Orrin Hatch suggested Merrick Garland. His words, he is on video saying that exact name, saying Barack Obama would never nominate a justice like Merrick Garland. Okay, but that's what still do when somebody the fact, the, who I believe is, yeah. the, is the Senator Pro Tem, with some yeah. more than a bit of history in the Senate, says that, and, and that's how the Republican majority responds, that, that stretches credibility almost beyond the breaking point. It's time to pull on your big boy pants, Dan, and get over it. Dan, the reality is, well, but, but, I, but here, here's, here, Dan, here's where I want to go with this. Because what I'm seeing is, I'm seeing the Democrats, not all, but some, like majority le- or minority leader Chuck Schumer and, and, and those around him, there are some Democrats that are literally going to swing for the fences and burn down houses and start a war with the Republicans in the Senate over, Neil, over the, the situation with uh, Merrick Garland not getting a hearing. Whereas everybody that I've talked to, both Democrat and Republican, in the past 24 hours that have seen or have heard or have had interaction with, just uh, Judge Gorsuch, they all love him. He is a judge's judge. Why would the Democrats, and this is the question for you, and then Sharmila, I'd like to hear your side. Why would the Democrats spend the political ammunition going after somebody that everybody agrees would be a good Supreme Court justice? Dan first and well, Sharmila. Okay, a good Supreme Court justice versus a qualified Supreme Court justice are different things. So qualified, yes, good, that's to be seen. But this goes all the way back to my very first statement, that in order for democracy to function, there has to be faith and trust. And the handling of Merrick Garland did more than a little harm on that faith and trust in the process. So... The suggesting that Democrats should now be civil because just uh, because Judge Gorsuch is a good guy, in spite of the other stakes that were at play and how the Merrick Garland was handled, that's suggesting different sets of rules for one side than the other. And if you still want to continue down that road, we now have a real question, and we just had hearings on that with the with the FBI that you can now say, you know, as far as the legitimacy of the presidency, and I'm not saying this is my argument, but I am saying that as far as influence of the election, there are more than a handful of people that can say with some credibility that the Russians may have been involved in it and, 
and manipulative that election for now President Trump. Now, those folks that believe that, their faith in the process is not great. So now looking at Democrats and just saying, as Alan said, put on your big boy pants, just get over it. Really? If the response can be, well, we're going to try and shut the joint down. And while it's unlikely since we're Democrats and we're not that organized, that is, <laughs> that is, that is how people protest. That is the response. Norman? Sure, hold on. Alan Moore, let me go to Sharmila also. Sharmila, your response. Well, you know, I, I would actually agree with everything Dan said. Uh, I wanted to kind of initially note the humor and irony in the fact that liberals are now you know, up in arms about the unfairness to Merrick Garland, who is not actually that liberal, right? And a lot of liberals, when he was nominated, were disappointed because they thought Obama was making too much of a compromise with conservatives in Congress. Um, but, you know, I agree with everything that Dan said, and I, you know, to his point earlier regarding the Constitution, yes, the, the Senate did have an obligation to advise and consent, you know, on Judge Garland's nomination, which included, you know, the opportunity to have him testify in front of the Senate and, you know, have senators question him and make that testimony public to the American, you know, to the American people. It, you know, the Constitution doesn't say the senators shall give, you know, the Senate shall give advice and consent unless it's an election year and it's, you know, nine months before the election. Oh, let me but, let me um, just point something out to you guys. All right, Alan Moore, go ahead. Advise and consent takes many forms. It's not just hearings and votes. It's saying, nope, not doing it. And that's constitutional, too. I'm not saying it's desirable. If you guys want to go into some history, we only have to go back a couple of years to recall, and we want to talk about anger, when Harry Reid decided to change the rules, the long-standing Senate rules on how many votes it took to get uh, presidential uh, nomi- uh, executive branch nominees and judicial nominees up through and including the Court of Appeals unilaterally changed the rules. They used to require 60 votes to by simple majority, require only a simple majority. And that was because that, people the, like the, 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 the ATF could not even get a floor vote, regardless the, of his don't, don't, don't. Listen, listen, you want to know the origins of this stuff and be at least honest about it and acknowledge that that absolutely infuriated and unified the Republicans. And, and everyone knows that had there been a need, an opportunity with the Republican, with the Democrats in charge to take up a, uh, a Supreme Court nominee, they would have changed that rule in a heartbeat. And you know what? It would have been constitutional to do that. I regret that we have gone down this road, but it didn't start last year with uh, when we were into a full-blown, albeit early, presidential campaign for Republicans as a matter of preservation, frankly. This was a big deal for a lot, 
a lot of Republican voters, curiously, don't, you know, we need that Supreme Court nominee. And it's, we can only surmise, we will never know what kind of damage might have occurred to what, what might have, out, what outcomes might have been different had the Senate gone ahead and confirmed him. And that's what you wanted. Everybody said, didn't even get a hearing. Well, there was a lot more, we talked about this last year, a lot more honest to not give him a hearing if you knew he was never, never going to succeed. So right. saved everybody no, no, a lot no, no, of time no, 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 no. and energy. I can't, I, can't let that, I can't let that one stand because it's bad democracy. Okay. By not giving well, him a hearing, oh not give, let, 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 let me get Alan, Alan Moore, let Dan, let Dan go with this. Dan, go ahead. I'm, the, the I want to hear how he defines bad democracy as defined the in the Constitution. Go ahead. Stuff is is, is if on. you're following and really in the weeds. By having a vote on the record, a thumbs up, thumbs down, that's a simple binary choice. And you're allowed democracy to at least run its course and people can say you did this or you didn't. By not having a hearing, by not having a vote, you allow people to say, not my fault, not my problem, I didn't do it. And the only people who understand that and really get involved with it are people that have the leisure time to actually, to actually pay attention to politics at that level. It's not good for the country so you want, at any other level. I want you, want to, see, you want to satisfy people who aren't interested or smart enough. I'm saying people have better things to do with their time. Voting for a tax, not voting for a tax, that stuff matters. Voting for a war, not voting for a war, that stuff matters. And voting for a member of the Supreme Court matters, yes or no. That stuff counts. And when talking to voters, not just the intellectual elites in D.C., that stuff actually resonates and can actually be run to ground. And you can make determinations on people based on that, not the whims of the editorial page of of the you know, Washington Post, the New York Times, or the Wall Street Journal. That is not the realm of normal people. Sharmila, I'd love your, your take on this as well. Yeah, so I was, I was going to say, you know, notwithstanding the fairness or unfairness of the treatment of Judge Garland, uh, going back to your original question, Justin, of why would the Democrats be doing this when, you know, everyone, when everyone says, you know, Judge Gorsuch is a, a stand-up guy and, you know, you know, for whatever else, is certainly a qualified nominee for the Supreme Court. I think that, to be honest, it's an easy win for them politically, right? It, you know, liberal activists especially are pretty up in arms about this nomination and are, you know, you know are lobbying their elected representatives already to hold out on this nomination for all four years of the Trump presidency, if, if he makes it that long. Yeah, and but, so but, I think by, by opposing but, him, knowing that, you know, most likely every Republican in, in the Senate will vote, will vote uh, in the affirmative, they can bank a pretty easy win with their supporters saying, hey, look, we stood by our, our principles and we, we, you know, stood up for Judge Garland, we stood up for our liberal values, and, you know, unfortunately we lost, but at least we stood up and knowing that, you know, ultimately that's not really going to cost them anything because they can't be accused of, you know, of undermining our government by not confirming a Supreme Court nominee because ultimately so, Judge Gorsuch will probably be confirmed. All right. So, Sharmila, but let me ask you this question. When we hear filibuster, when we hear uh, blocking, words like that coming out of the Democrats, 
to me, it would make more sense for the Democrats to focus on, let's say, the health care bill. Let's, you know, focus on other items that are more pressing than the president putting up a health care bill. What's that? Republicans I think the Democrats are, are focusing out. on the health care bill, and I think that they're, that's, that's a fight that they can more likely win. I think, that the, I think that, at least for the liberal base, this is not a zero-sum game, right? They we're want fighting. them to be fighting on all fronts. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Round the horn real quick, uh, starting with Admiral Ken. Does Judge Neil Gorsuch get confirmed to the Supreme Court bench? Admiral Ken. Yes, yes, he does. Dan Lipner. Absent a bomb, probably he does, but I'm still waiting to see whether or not it's going to require a rule change. Alan Moore. Uh, yeah, he does, and, and Dan's got the right question. Does he get? Does he have to get 60 uh, to 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 get there? And does he get 60? Not 60 to allow a vote, not 60 votes for him. 60 to confirm. 60 to allow a vote. That's the, really the question. I think he gets confirmed one way or the other. Right. And Charmela? Yes, I think he most likely, again, you know, if not for a bombshell, will get confirmed. But I, I would like to see the Senate Democrats dig deeper onto his views on uh, women and uh, employment discrimination, especially with regards to pregnancy. I think that that's a question that he evaded very nicely today and, you know, essentially directly contradicted the person who kind of came forth to give testimony against him. And so, I would like to see them dig deeper into that. Okay, very good. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. We will be back live from Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in uh, three minutes. Please stay with us. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. I saw you last night and got that old feeling When you came in I got that old feeling The moment that you danced by I felt a thrill And when you caught my eye My heart stood still Once again I seemed to feel that old yearning And I knew the spark of love was still
This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. here live from Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill to be specific. This is the best political talk show you never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. On the line with us, as always, Dan Lipner, Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore, and our special guest today, Sharmila Arkari. Hey, oh, I'm sorry, Achari. I got to get that right, Sharmila. I'm, I keep doing that. Sorry about that. Two out of three, Justin. You're it. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it sometime. Anyway, hey, uh, we'll pivot a little bit after that heated discussion, uh, which is why you listen to Backroom Politics. Uh, but want to talk a little bit about the latest and greatest coming up with Obamacare or Trump Care or Ryan Care or whatever you want to call it. All we know is it's getting its day in court coming up. Um, the latest and greatest is that uh, the uh, American Health Care Act otherwise known as Trump Care or Ryan Care, depending on who you're in favor of, is actually going to go to a uh, floor vote. This Is it Thursday or Friday, Alan? Thursday? Well, they're saying Thursday. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is one of those things where they said Thursday's the day, and then what they don't want to do is lose, and so hopefully they'll know ahead of time if they've got the votes or not, and you, you, you shouldn't be surprised if uh, well, if it isn't tomorrow. Well, here's here's the latest news coming out regarding that. Um, on top of the fact that today President uh, Trump actually went to the Hill to meet with Republican leaders to throw the gad to throw the gavel down or throw the hammer down or throw whatever it is President Trump throws down. And the says, golf club from Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Wow, Dan, you're still still feisty. So the deal is, President Trump goes up to the Hill today, throws down the gauntlet, says, hey, uh, you got to get this passed. This is a must win. Uh, at the same time, we just got word out of Politico. Politico is reporting that uh, uh, few sources have stated that there are not enough votes to clear the American Health Care Act out of the House. So now you've got literally a, a duel between uh, House members and the White House and the Democrats and some Republicans in the House. Uh, Alan Moore, is this a must win for Donald Trump and how detrimental if this does not go forward? You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always, always amused, amused. <laughs> 
the phrase, phrase must win, must win. Um, because people win or don't win, must wins, and life goes on. Um, uh, this is an important one. It's more a must win, I would say, uh, really for Ryan than for the president, because uh, it's it's uh, Ryan's invested so much in this. Um, but there's troubles uh, from both uh, from both sides of the party. There are conservatives who think it. Who, who like to call it Obamacare light, and there are moderates who are nervous that uh, it won't, it, it 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 doesn't add up for them politically, or uh, or, or back home in the, the financing, particularly of Medicaid. So there there's a host. There, there's not a lot of enthusiasm for this bill. And um, having said that, uh, you know, don't underestimate the power of. Of, of leadership persuasion, presidential persuasion to, to, to get a vote, um, get it out of the House and throw it over to the Senate, where it's an altogether different matter. I just, it, it could be a close call. It could be one of these things where the vote's left open for a couple of hours and they go arm twist people until they, until they get a majority. Uh, I, I, I don't think they will call it up and lose. Um, but you know, it's really a close one. And if they fail, then they, it's not like that's the end of, of, uh, healthcare. Um, it just, it, it just means they have to keep working at it. I just, I, I would be very surprised if they brought it up and it lost. So I would think it's either going to squeak out a victory or be postponed for a bit. Admiral Ken, why would, why would, Speaker Ryan, I mean, because he's pretty much gone all in on this. Why would Speaker Ryan spend that type of capital on a bill like this? Well, I, you know, I think he's been in the he's been in the drafted leadership role as a speaker now for a while, and as everybody has has said uh, on um, both in the, the 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 major media outlets as well as on this program. We've been talking about repealing Obamacare since, you know, for the last eight years. And for us to have talked about it and even tried uh, going to the Supreme Court to get rid of it, and then all of a sudden to be in power and not have a plan, I think it, makes, it, it speaks very poorly of the leadership of the Republican Party in, in, the, in the House. And I think he's, he's under a great deal of pressure. You know, put up or shut up, dude. And I think that's the role he's in. And we've got a call. And we've got a caller. Caller from the 703 area code. You're on with Backroom Politics. What's your question? Hey, hey, uh, I've got a comment. Uh, um, I noticed that uh, you guys said that uh, there's been no evidence that uh, Trump was bugged. Well, there's no evidence that the Trump Tower was bugged, but uh, there is considerable evidence that uh, other staff members of the Trump team. And uh, other locations were bugged uh, by Obama's administration. What? Where are you getting that source? Sure. We know that's. Well, Wait, hold on. Hang on. Alan, hold on. Where are you getting yeah, that source? Yeah, yeah. So, well, we know that we know that Michael Flynn was showed up in surveillance. What we don't know is whether they then put him under surveillance. We know we know the content of conversations he had with the Russian ambassador. 
Um, and we know that there were some other communication. We, we have reason to believe there were some other communications that might have been intercepted. And then the question is, so then what do you do? Do you start, do you start trying to surveil uh, Flynn? We talked about this last week, that they, they, might have, uh, they might have tried to pay closer attention to him uh, wherever he worked, including if, if he was at the, the campaign headquarters in Trump Tower. I, I, I'm guessing that that's what, uh, that that's what the, the, the caller was saying. And I think further, that further, all, what, authorized, all authorized by the appropriate warrants under the Constitution of the United States. Because, and, and to be absolutely. Clear, General Flynn was not the subject of the, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, surveillance. The Russian ambassador was the subject of the, of the surveillance. Was Just not like, originally the like, subject. We don't know if we if he was a subject after the fact. Just, so just that's, like, that's correct. Just like just like Director Comey said yesterday. You know what? If we think that there's something going on, we will approach uh, this with with a regular investigative technique. And that's that's what happened here. And that's what stands. First okay, all, caller, caller, yeah, go first, ahead. Yeah, yeah. First of all, the fact that you know that Flynn was. Um, conversation with the Russian ambassador or any Russian whatsoever is a violation of the law because Flynn no, is it's not, not the a violation of the law. Of the if I, if, you can't that, that's not that correct. That is well, not a disclosure. Hold on, hold on. An unauthorized hold on. disclosure. That's all he's saying. Hold on. Everybody hold on. I think the caller is right. It, what, no, the fact on. that there's a leak involved, yeah, that, there, there could be something involved with that. And I've said before on exactly. the show, that's what he's saying. Is, that that is one of those uncomfortable issues with democracy. That had not for the leak, Flynn would still be in his job today. Um, it's an uncomfortable uh, well, we can argue that. I don't the right that yeah. stuff happens, and how how you choose. The I don't believe that's not, true, but anyway. No, I think Flynn would still hold be on, in, hold in on, his hold job. On, hold on, everybody, no, everybody, everybody out of there. All right, the whole, everybody on mute. The White House here, they had to act. I'm putting everybody on mute now. Okay, here's the deal. Caller, do you have any other comment? <laughs> yes, uh, the, you said that the Republicans did not have a health care plan. We've had a health care plan for years. And I can and, explain and what, it to you. In fact, and go, go ahead with you. accounts. Yeah, we've got health savings accounts, uh, tort reform, portability across state lines. We, individuals who are not working can or working for themselves, don't have to have insurance through their company, that if you're an individual who buys health insurance, just like companies buy for their employees, you can get tax credits and tax subsidies. We've had this for many years. Alan Moore, I'm going to let you take this one. Well, there was never any collective acceptance by Republicans on an alternative to, to Obamacare. There were different ideas. The caller accurately describes I think it was a bill by the current uh, secretary of HHS that had a small number of co-sponsors. There were other people with different ideas. So the, I think the, that, that, that there were Republicans who attached their names to particular ideas, but the Republican Party never coalesced around a particular proposal. They're trying to do that now and having a hell of a time doing it. To be clear, another way of saying it, another way of saying it, there was not drafted legislation that was ready for presentation to the House. Charmala, you want to take that one for the Democrats? 
you know, I would agree with uh, Admiral Ken and Alan. I think that they they made the argument for me, right? The Republicans, the Republicans were essentially just the party of no on the Affordable Care Act, right? They, you know, they uh, sort of pitched a fit regarding you know uh, the penalties and you know employer mandated uh, coverage and all these things, but they never really came up with a feasible alternative. And then, you know, as Ken said, or as, sorry, as Alan said, you know, different legislators had kind of, you know, supported different ideas, but, and then as Ken said, there was no cohesive policy, you know, that was presented as an alternative. And now they have a, a very lukewarm policy that no one's really excited about. And they're saying, well, at least it's something. Well, let me follow up with one additional item. As far as the across-state lines nonsense, and I mean nonsense, every state in this country, if they wanted to, could allow you to purchase health care from another state. The across-state lines thing is a commerce clause item that says that the states can regulate within their own borders. It would take federal supremacy to knock down those barriers. It's worth noting that at least one state in the country has done so. Alabama, since Blue Cross Blue Shield has an almost monopoly in Alabama, they have removed those barriers. And how many new entrants did they have? None. It is a nonsense. It's a nonsense argument. It's exactly the same kind of issue in a slightly different context, but it's exactly the same kind of issue as far as credit card regulation. All it is is a race to the bottom. So if you remove those kind of boundaries, everyone just simply reincorporates with the state that has the lowest rule. That's all it is. It's a complete fake argument. Dan, the, Go ahead, yeah, Dan, Dan is exaggerated again, but there's no reason to debate it. Thank you. Ad, no, wait a minute. Ad, Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken, answer this. I'm, I'm just going to invite him out to the out to the back of the school uh, after after class. That's all. Not a problem. <laughs> Caller, thanks for your call. We hope you'll keep listening to us every week. Appreciate it. Hey, so going back to uh, going back to the situation with the American Healthcare Act uh, status is, uh, let me go to let me go to Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, we're hearing the rumblings on the Hill that there could be enough Republicans to jump ship. Uh, is if that does happen. How much damage is that going to do for Speaker Ryan and his credibility? I think it's going to hurt him. I really do. Uh, and and I, I think it, it's, it's going to hurt him, and I, uh, that's unfortunate. I, I, am, I am still a Paul Ryan fan. Um, I, think, I think, you know, what he got was uh, something that one of, one of my, my, my former Navy colleagues said to me once. Uh, somebody put a, put a wet cat in a bag, shook it up, and handed it to him here, handleless, and that's that's where we are, and um, and so I, I think it'll hurt him. I really do. That's unfortunate. Hey, and did that cat in the bag? Did, did that cat in the bag have diarrhea? <laughs> Alan Moore. We're, wow. Okay, this is getting interesting. Let me go to Dan Lipner real quick. Dan Lipner, do you think can the Dems make enough of a compelling case to draw? Some of the moderate Republicans, particularly in the House, over to the other side? Don't need to. I mean, there are enough Republicans that are either the right or the far right doesn't agree with the other's approach. The estimates of an additional, I believe it's 20 million people without health insurance, 
if the current plan is passed without any changes, okay, that's problematic. And considering Republicans are from states that are actually having serious issues with with providing medical coverage for their poor, uh, I look to Arkansas, for example, or Mississippi, or Alabama, or Georgia. These are states where they got to go home and face their voters. Why should Democrats expend much more capital beyond just what CBO has said that this bill is not going to be terribly good and worse yet could be a self-inflicted wound that never gets through the Senate? So it's a lose-lose situation politically. Aside from the actual injuries to people, if it should pass, actually a net win for Democrats at the moment. So, Alan Moore, which is more surprising? Is it the fact that the far, far right have talked, if the far, far right have gone against this bill the way they have? Or is it more surprising that uh, there hasn't been a, a true coalition of the party in the House to get this passed effectively? Well, it's it's sort of both sides of the the same question. It, it's there's just not enough here to satisfy the disparate needs, views, and interests of of Republicans. And uh, you know, there are the the Republicans who say you can't you're going you're going to do harm to my state if you go down this road, either because of Medicaid or because of of you know older uh, uh, uninsured. Um, and others who say this was this was an abomination from the get-go. We've promised to repeal it. Let's repeal. Then we will have an emergency our ha- on our hands that will cause us and force us to figure out what to replace it with. That's kind of the Rand Paul uh, school. And there are others who who share that view. So you just don't have the 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 50, 50 votes in the Senate that you need under the special rules that this particular bill would, would come under. Um, you may or may not have a, have a majority in the house. If it, if it squeezes through the house, which it may, uh, it's got big, big, big problems in the Senate. And uh, but what you really need here is to find a way to get the Democrats, some Democrats involved, to not go through the mistake that President Obama made in the beginning of his administration, which was to simply turn his back on Republicans at one point and go ahead without it. So there were no Republicans with any interest in trying to make it work. So the reason that the, the, the Republicans are getting some criticism for starting with this issue rather than starting with something like infrastructure or even tax reform where you could have a better chance of getting some Democrats to, to join in. The problem was the calendar and the fact that you had this budget process and the opportunity to do so-called budget reconciliation, which would afford an opportunity by a simple majority to, to do some of the health stuff. It's not working out very well. Now they're, they're, they're staring down the possibility of this collapsing and then also having missed the opportunity to work across the aisle with Democrats. If nothing is done now, the problems built into our health care system, including the Affordable Care Act, not just the Affordable Care Act, will become so, so potentially overwhelming next year that some group may come together and the Democrats can say, we're going to fix Obamacare 
and the Republicans can say, we're going to replace Obamacare, and it could be the same product described differently. But we're not on that path right now. So, Sharmila, how did the Democrats capitalize on, the, on this? Um, so I was going to echo what um, a, a lot of what Dan said, that, you know, the Democrats don't really need to do a lot of persuasion. You know, the CBO did a lot of their work for them. But I think what could be really interesting is Democrats tapping into uh, Republicans in rural districts in places like Ohio, Indiana, um, you know, places that are really affected by the opioid crisis right now because the current iteration of the Trump health care bill slashes funding for both, you know, mental health issues and substance and, you know, substance abuse issues. And, you know, for states that are dealing with that crisis and especially Republican legislators who have made real promises to their constituents to combat this crisis, that's going to be, I think, a, a pressure point that the Democrats can exploit uh, you yeah, know, but Sharmila, don't, don't the Democrats have a credibility problem with that constituency that you spoke of? I mean, you're talking about the blue-collar labor lunch pail guys in Ohio, Nebraska, Kansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, all of those places. Those are places that the Democrats and your former boss, Hillary Clinton, almost expected to win – do they have a credibility problem to take that approach or can they effectively go back to them and say, Hey, look, we get it now. This is what we're doing for you right now. I think they can do a little bit of both, right? I think that they can, in the short term, they can pressure the Republicans who control those seats to vote against the bill and, you know, give them a politically convenient reason to cite. But yes, in the long term, say, look, we, you know, one of the big reasons, you know, more micro-targeting, one of the big reasons that we oppose this bill is not, you know, is because we see that these communities are suffering in this way through this, you know, opioid crisis that, you know, I will I'll concede a point to my, you know, right-wing colleagues, my colleagues on the right side of the aisle, that the Obama administration did not do an adequate job of addressing. Um, and so we understand that this crisis is taking over these communities and we want to create the best healthcare plan that is going to let these communities com- combat this crisis before it gets worse than it is. And Dan, keep in mind also what the Republicans, what, what, what victory, thanks to uh, Donald Trump, is supposed to look like. It's going to be better. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to cover more people. It's going to be beautiful. That is not the ugly pig that is on the that Republicans get to vote on at the moment. So. The president has set up a really tough situation for Republicans, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they manage to wiggle out of this, uh, unless they manage to actually uh, grease up the pig. I wonder. I wonder if um, if the, the the party it might have been better served by going after something um, less controversial. Uh, a little easier, like infrastructure, the budget, and then uh, tackling healthcare. I mean, given given they they showed, uh, you know, I think infrastructure was cut in the yeah, president's yeah. budget he just proposed. Given 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 they showed um, almost complete amateur hour type of um, uh, skills with regard to managing messaging, uh, communication to uh, Capitol Hill. 
uh, getting Capitol Hill to, you know, to understand uh, what they're trying to do. Um, you know, I, I think that, that they basically they, they jumped on they jumped on the, uh, the wild stallion hoping to break it without even learning how to ride a pony. Uh, that's just going to backfire. So, well, according to the president, who knew healthcare could be this complicated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember, we all forgot about that gem till just now. Yeah, we did. Yeah, there's so many other gems he's given us since then. Really. Uh, real quickly, uh, Alan Moore. When I know that you don't like the word "must win," but is there a way that Speaker Ryan can recover the political capital he's put up front if this dies in the House? Yeah. He's the, you know, he's the speaker. Let's suppose that he just pulls this and steps aside, and I don't know what happens to reconciliation. You know, that, that that's this budget, this arcane budget process, which I know only enough about to be dangerous. Uh, you know, that window may close. That was the that was the thing that prompted that, that contributed significantly to the timing, and he either doubles down, tries to find another way to, to go to get the votes or just says, let's take a break. Um, let's regroup around tax reform. The, the problem with regrouping around infrastructure, of course, is that it would be expensive. And even if there's a public-private partnership uh, involved, uh, we're talking about very, very large numbers. And if you're going to do infrastructure and do something that, in a way that Democrats would want – you're going to have to marry that up with something that you want because it's right. going to be enormously expensive and that's going to create a lot of heartburn for, for most Republicans. All right. Well, with that being said, we've got about 12 minutes left in the show. It is time for my favorite part of the show. It is time for what do we miss where we talk about stories that we did not cover this week, but should have, or probably will in the future. It's going to start off week. Dean Lintner. What do we miss? I might have to retract the previous retraction, but under slightly different under slightly different merits. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, the the kneeling quarterback from the San Francisco 49ers, who I mistakenly had said was never going to play another down in the NFL, did did eventually play again. However, he's a free agent now and doesn't seem to have a whole lot of bites. Uh, I can't quite say it's because of kneeling, but I can say it probably doesn't help. So we'll take him. We'll take him. The Redskins will take him. Yeah, you guys will take anybody. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Admiral Ken, since you chimed in, what did we miss? Uh, Rex Tillerson's trip to Korea. Um, you know, kind of, kind of do the new version of the line in the sand as well as uh, kick a bunch of hope out in the portis office of You know what, and that's, and that's a story we're going to keep an eye on, obviously, Admiral Ken, uh, is that Korea situation, particularly the fact that Kim Jong-un fired off a rocket that they could put on pretty much a, a tin can and fire it any which way but loose. But we're going to keep an eye on that story. I really, want, I really, want, to write, I really want to write that open letter to uh, Kim Jong-un on, on, on behalf of the president. Yeah, no, no, please don't do that. Anyway, uh, Alan Moore, what did we miss? So another example of, of amazing American humor. 
yesterday at the daily press briefing in the White House, the presidential spokesman said characterized uh, Admiral Flynn as a volunteer to uh, to the campaign. You know, it, sort of dismissive of his role. And then if Paul Manafort said he played a small role for a short period of time. Now, when you think about the role those two played and how it was characterized, I thought, wait, 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 wait. That's not Sean Spicer. That's Melissa McCarthy in the White House. That's amazing. What a coup for Saturday Night Live. So what you're being to tell me is, on more, so what you're saying is, is that Paul Manafort, Sean Spicer said that Paul Manafort was only a small player for a small amount of time. You mean the amount of yep. time that he was, in fact, the paid campaign manager for the Trump campaign for that eight-month he, he cycle? No, no, he was unpaid. He was unpaid, but he was the he's campaign manager. Calling voters, you know, putting door knockers on on election day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. He, was the, he was the top guy for months. Yeah. And Flynn was the, the right-hand traveling man. Anyway, it was just so completely out there that I thought, surely Spicer <laughs> – that's not Spicer. And that's when I realized, oh, yeah, it's, it's Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, uh, Sharmila Achari. Sharmila, what did we miss today? There you go. There you go. Last time's a charm. Yeah. <laughs> what did we miss, Sharmila? So uh, this just came out today, but Ivanka Trump uh, getting both a – office in the White House, less important, and a security clearance, more important, without any formal role, and now the kind of deafening sound of all the conflicts of interest that are occurring in the Trump administration and the lack of media transparency that comes along with them. Neither Ivanka or Jared Kushner have given a media interview about their advisory roles and how they are managing their conflicts of interest, and I think that's something that we should be asking them for and looking into further. Hey, Sharmila, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here for this one. But, you know, I mean, what's the difference between Ivanka and Donald and Jack and Bobby Kennedy? Bobby Kennedy had an official role in the in the administration. He was the attorney general. So He went through a Senate confirmation process. And we changed and, the law after that, that. They did. They did. I just wanted to – I just like throwing that out there. It's very Kennedy. Right, but also Bobby Kennedy wasn't the head of his own corporation with, you know, business and commercial ties across the world. Is, yeah, he is was already it? rich, but she's, she, yeah. The better but example would be Hillary Clinton with Bill Clinton. Yeah, it's true on the healthcare stuff. Hey, you can just go around the table. Is, is, is the OCI a problem that's going to rear its ugly head here in the next 18 months? Alan Moore, start with you. I'm sorry, the what? The OCI, the Organizational Conflict of Interest issue? Well, it's not going away. Um, it's, 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 for me, a lot less likely that, that, uh, that Ivanka Trump or her husband, Jared Kushner, will, will raise all the questions, although there's certainly plenty of eyes on that case. Um, it, much more likely is the is the is the two sons um, who are actively out pursuing business um, without any 
any particular supervision, a lot of transparency, not not any uh, significant press scrutiny, um, and and uh, I think that's where the the problem is more likely to be. And you know, the whole business of the Trump Hotel downtown continues to be a lingering problem, even though. The president has said that any profits made while he's president, he will, will, will give back to the Treasury. That, that gets into sort of weird accounting things. I, I don't like that arrangement. I think it's just, it just uh, particularly uh, uh, problematic uh, on, its, on its face. One irony, just if I might, about Ivanka and Jared Kushner. Most of my left-leaning friends who are very involved in Washington in, in particular issues – most particularly some of the global health issues, AIDS, TB, and malaria, family planning, say, oh, my God, <laughs> she or they are our only hope. So that's just an interesting uh, perception, too, uh, on how the outside world uh, views the White House and, and the role of uh, the, the daughter and son-in-law. Right. How low the bar has fallen. <laughs> Well, well I didn't know um, that. you know, it's interesting. Ivanka Trump is known and, and Jared Kushner were both known as, you know, prolific Democratic supporters and fundraisers when they lived in New York, you know, basically up until the moment Donald Trump announced. But, you know, despite that, I think it's interesting that they've really, to my, to my knowledge, and I think to most people, they've, they've had very little mitigating effect on the more conservative forces in the administration. So, well, yes. How do we know? People who... Well, regardless, I will tell you, I will tell you now, it's going to be something that we're going to keep an eye on, obviously, the whole conflict of interest issue. I still think it's going to rear its ugly head. Hey, one of the things we missed this week is, uh, and, and again, completely shocking format and manner, the president does something incredible. Uh, the president today signed the NASA mission authorization bill, which basically signs off and, and gives the go-ahead for the mission to Mars. Completely shocked by that. Did not see that coming, but it does play into his whole private partner, his public-private partnership, and industry bringing best practices. Uh, congratulations to President Trump on saying that. That was a good. Going to be move. a Trump-branded rocket. Uh, <laughs> no. The only question is, the only problem here is that Elon Musk has to put Trump on the boosters. Wow, not even a chuckle. Okay, I'm done with the comedy. On that note, <laughs> on behalf of Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, Admiral Ken Carradine, and special thanks to our special guest today. She is yeah, – let me try this again. Special guest today, our friend, Sharmila Achari. Thank you, Sharmila. Good grief. Thank you, Sharmila, for coming. You are a tongue twister. I can't get this no, out. I least, don't know why. At least and when we thank you bar, again, Dustin, for having me. At least when we were in the bar doing this, you could say you were drinking. I mean, holy cow. I, how, do you know, how do you know I haven't been drinking at home? Good point. That's just sad. <laughs> That's just thanks. Thanks for my existence. Anyway, Sharmila, thanks for joining us. We will be back next week live. Uh, it will be another remote as I will be in Austin, Texas the capital of the Lone Star State next week. So it'll be another remote broadcast. Uh, but we will be back live on Blog Talk Radio. And you will be, you'll be honored to hear the best political talk show you've never heard of. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. And you can follow us with our partner, Sidewire. Sidewire.com. You can follow our chats, our thoughts, and our punditry as we put it up for chats, all that you can get for 214 characters or less. On that note, thanks for everybody. Keep listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.